Thanks for listening to Reawaken, creating community and meaningful action to shift paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction, a podcast by The Humane Clinic. Hosted by Matt Ball and Stephanie Mitchell and produced by me, Rory Ritchie, aka Producer Dan. Incidental music by yours truly and our theme song is Hope by the talented Addo Mull. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race need your hope. That's what this word is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed. Hope is the thing that stops you bleed. Hope is the irony in the weed. Morning. Welcome to Reawaken. I'm here with Matt. Hey, Steph. Hi. How are you going? Good. And Rory. Hello. Producer Dan. Oh, yeah. We do call him Producer Dan for some reason. <laughs> I think it was a sort of throwback to some, like, platoon-type... Uh, the film Platoon, somewhere in my mind I got confused between... Oh, that's right, you did, I remember now. I don't know, yeah, I don't know, some mildly bizarre connection. Anyway, Mm. so, what are we talking about today? I think we were going to talk about suicide narratives. Oh, yeah? I think what's come up is, you know, um, a lot of times... There's, well, there's a lot of talk about suicide and there's a lot of talk mm. about suicide prevention and there's a lot of talk about, you know, are you okay days and how we help people and different programs that are out there. But I think that one of the things that um, I found difficult when I listened to people and through my own experiences of, you know, feeling pretty suicidal at times um, and listening to other people who've had those experiences is that what's out there at the moment is very much focused on risk management. Yeah. On crisis management, on um, helping a person to sort of like settle themselves down when the crisis is happening. But there's no nothing that really looks at the broader experiences Mm. that lead a person to those places, or takes into account the fact that poverty and hopelessness and isolation Mm. and all these kinds of things, yeah, might lead a person to those places of feeling hopeless. Yeah. And so because of that, I suppose we've got, started to sort of think about what are the narratives, what might na- what are the might the narratives be in a yeah. person's life. Yeah. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, great. And and I you know what comes up for me as you're saying this, the old narrative is that we need to offer a warning that this is a difficult conversation. <laughs> you know, and I'm not wanting to mock that, mm. but what I'm wanting to say is that I believe that people listening to this will understand that we're talking about how we can have a deeper, more compassionate, connected understanding of people's experience. I think people are pretty. Certainly. I think people are pretty intelligent and pretty resilient. Yeah, but of course there is the opportunity or the the potential that people find this a challenging subject. Yeah. And we really strongly encourage you to seek support, seek connection, seek a place to talk about this. And that may be the mental health system, or it may be. A dear person connected to mm. you. It may be someone that can hear your story. And and I hope as we talk through our concept of suicide narratives, that will become more clear. I think it's so fascinating you've said that, Matt, because I think that what's come up for me is that we're so bent on avoiding feeling things. Yeah. Know? So even if this conversation was to bring up something for someone, there's kind of like a sense of that wouldn't be okay. And mm. I just sort of feel a bit like, well, no, actually. Yeah. Um. It's in those spaces where we notice, oh, God, that was difficult. That that caught me off guard. I didn't expect it to be, or I did expect it. Yeah. I often feel difficult in these situations. 
And as we turn to our experience, no matter what it is, whether it's after this podcast where we're talking about suicide or whether it's, you know, someone's mean to me at the grocery store. Yeah. You know, as we turn towards our experiences, we can understand them better. But I think we're so caught up on trying to avoid, you know, we're trying to avoid suicide yeah. feelings. We're trying to avoid feeling distressed, try and f- avoid, you know, like let's ground ourselves and not think about that because that was a bit overwhelming. Try and yeah. send out a trigger warning whenever you put something on Facebook, which I'm not yeah. saying you shouldn't do, but I'm saying it's all in this in this sort of effort to make sure we don't ever kind of feel bad. Yeah, or too much. To, don't feel overwhelmed yeah. ever. And yeah. I'm like, well, maybe there's a message in the overwhelm, which is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about suicide. Yes, There's a absolutely. message in the overwhelm. It's deeply overwhelmed. Mm. Something is deeply mm. overwhelming. Mm. And at this point, my narrative around that is to think about whether I can exist anymore. That's right. Whether I might consider ending my life, which mm. is, you know, painful. Mm. But also um, from the suicide narratives, we would say there's healing through knowing. And I think that's, that's what you're right. saying. You know, yeah. So this model is about saying the wisdom is inherently in the narrative of the person's life, yeah. which in this moment is being narrated as ending a life or suicide contemplating that so we take it you know with deep compassion and sensitivity but also embracing the person with the living and lived experience as the wise one Mm. as the person and what about the something that comes up for me is often the primacy of what the coroner might say Mm. if something bad happens and that being the most important thing rather than the person who's feeling suicidal being the most important thing and often the person who's feeling suicidal as it can have a really bad reaction to it being obvious that somebody's you know is preoccupied with risk. the risk mm, as I'd... opposed to preoccupied with them and their emotions and their distress and being with them yeah. and immediately that severs the human connection because you're more worried yeah. about something else that may happen in the future rather than being in human connection in that moment and offering a space to hear. Yeah, look, I think, I think that's beautiful and it really speaks to that part of the emotional CPR training where we say when we're stuck in our heads overthinking both the supporter and the person in distress, we're kind of dissociated from our hearts. So that connection you're talking about, when we come back into connection with the importance of the person's story, the the pain, the the journey of the person's story, we come back into both of us connecting through our hearts and our heads, Mm. rather than than sort of having to go to the risk model or the coronial space or what have you. And I I just think that feels really powerful to bring in, Rory. Um, And I think often people get mixed up with, oh, well, then you're not operating in a professional way or you're not doing the right thing. Mm. And there's this imagined vacuum that if we don't do the risk assessment, then what do we do or we're not working right? Yeah. As and opposed to are there better ways to be with somebody than doing a risk assessment and then referring them? That's right. And, Steph, you often talk about this, you know, we do it. Do people want to be referred on mm-hmm. <laughs> or do they want mm-hmm. to be heard by the person they've connected to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that if it's overwhelming for me to hear you, I can't invite you to speak to somebody else. But if I can hear you, if mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. bear to be witness to your journey in this moment that may or may not include suicide, how are you going to experience me saying, oh, sorry, Steph, <laughs> those emotions are too big for me? Mm-hmm. In, yeah. Or I could say, wow... I'm going to tell you how this feels to hear you. 
Yeah. And we and can think, share that connection. I think that somehow maybe that is part of what gets lost is as the supporter, if, if I'm sitting alongside you and you're telling me you're feeling really, really suicidal, that somehow I'm supposed to put aside my concern or I ha- or so either my concern becomes the most important thing. I'm mm. so concerned, let's take you to the hospital, whatever. Mm. Or in order to support you and stay here, I have to not let you know how I'm feeling. Yeah. And I love the ECPR because it allows actually, no, we're allowed to be human. So I'm allowed to say, that feels mm. a lot for me, Matt. And I want to be with you. And I'm just really, you know, can mm. hear the distress. And it's like, gosh, that that's right there. And, and it feels really painful to me to hear that. Yeah. And I imagine what what is it like for you, you know? Yeah. And and I think where the, so where we're coming from today is to recognize the deep suffering and pain, but the deep value in connection. Yeah. Right? And connection means mutual. I get to be with you in that space and feeling pretty dreadful with you. Yeah. And the suicide narrative document that's coming out finishes with this quote from Rogers, mm. which I just thought would be a good place to start where yeah. we are. But I just want to say suicide narratives is ultimately about the mutuality and human to human connection towards healing that any person can experience. Mm. And Rogers talked about this common humanity, Carl Rogers. He said, before every session, I take a moment to remember my humanity. There is no experience that this person has that I cannot share with, no fear I cannot understand, no suffering that I cannot care about, Mm. because I too am human. No matter how deep the person's wounds, they do not need to be ashamed in front of me. I too am vulnerable. And because of this, I am enough. Whatever their story, they no longer need to be alone with it. This is what will allow the healing to begin. Yeah. And for me, that's not saying don't support other people to go and get other support, but it's about saying in this moment, when someone is bringing to us their distress, yeah. we, we are enough in that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the things I've... I can't remember the guy, one of you guys might remember him, but he, he was, he's quite well known. He was on San Francisco Bridge, I think. Mm, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And he was, you know, he, was, he jumped off and survived. And he said, you know, had one person reached out to me and asked me, I wanted to tell them that I was suicidal. And so, you know, it, it, there's these incredible lived experience stories of people saying, if someone had just connected, I would have just said the whole thing. I would have shared the story. I would have come into mutuality. Mm. Yeah. You know, so that that's what this is about, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's about it's about but having both the immediacy of response, which is what we've just discussed, but then also saying, okay, so if, if suicide revisits in your life, if the experience of wanting to end your life comes and goes and it's here more than once, which of course it is for most people, you know, there's there's all sorts of aspects to that. Maybe that once I've experienced suicide in in my life at one point or another, then that's always there then, and it's always something I've experienced. So it's always potentially going to be something that I consider when life becomes intolerable mm. or suffering becomes too much. Um, so I think that was where we started thinking about the suicide meaning conversation. I yes. wonder if you want to say a bit so, about that. Yeah. yeah, I think that one of the things that's interesting is that I think suicide has been one of these things, well, first of all, we're not supposed to talk about it, and on top of that, when we do talk about it, it lands up in kind of hot water because mm. the people around us don't know what to do with it. And so everyone shunts us off to services or some professional or another. Um, and I think what I've come to hear and learn through my own journey and also talking to other people who've had experiences of feeling suicidal is that talking about it helps. Yeah. 
And so the suicide narratives or the suicide meaning conversation is something that we've kind of put together or thought together that we wanted to do, which is based on the Hearing Voices interview, Yep. which looks at the benefit and value of voices and that we can get to understand the experience of hearing voices yeah. and what meaning and um, representations and what experiences the, the voices come out of. And so the same thing can be found for our experiences of suicide. And I would definitely say that that has been the case for me, that getting to understand why I have lots of times when I feel suicidal throughout my life um and from my perspective i feel like it's a part of me that gets suicidal when it's too Mm. much so to getting Mm. to know that part of myself that kind of takes over and feels really um hopeless Mm. and frightened and despairing and and all those kinds of things really getting to understand um that better i I really value you saying that because when you said you know it's a part of me that takes over and and is suicidal it really allows me to kind of think, wow, this isn't just some fleeting thought is one of the language mm. that's used in the system or or concrete thinking or, you know, it's an intrinsic experience you're mm. having that mm. is part of you. Yeah. And it's there for a reason. Yeah. Like all the other parts. Yeah. Like all the other selves within me or, or senses within people, it's there because it needs to be there and it's got a message and it's got meaning. Yeah. And we have to listen, mm-hmm. which is where you were saying about the Hearing Voices interview, isn't it? That That is really about seeing the person who hears voices as being the wisdom, the voices as having messages. Mm. So I really valued when you said about that part because it allowed me to kind of think of it as something, a, a kind of tangible experience I could be in relationship with. Yeah, that's right. Which is opposite to and what we said And that I can before. understand coming out of many mm. experiences. And I love the suicide meaning conversation because it helps us to really start to look at the broader experiences that lead to something like that you know so i might come and have an experience of feeling suicidal in this moment today because of something that's happened here but it's informed by many experiences i've had yes where maybe i felt just as terrible as i do right now in the past so it's kind of a cascading sense of feeling pretty terrible right now yeah (laughs) so I, i love this conversation this questionnaire conversation narrative um form that we have sort of devised because it's it beautifully invites someone to just look at what it is in their life i call it apart i would love to tell you some more about how i felt that i'm coming to relationship and maybe find different spaces when it mm. gets difficult where that part of me now has different options than just suicide Mm. Um, maybe later in the podcast, but just to go back to, I'm just saying, so that's my formulation. Yeah. But this conversation, this suicide narratives conversation, or sorry, meaning conversation is is really helping the person to find whatever works for them and whatever's right for them. That's right. And where it follows the hearing voices interview, the, the, the Maastricht approach to hearing voices around, um, first of all, accepting the person's experience and that they can make sense of it mm. from the experience. But also, there's a, a, when you finish the suicide meaning conversation, you use a very similar formulation approach to the hearing voice approach. Mm-hmm. So taken from a lot of the work by Lucy Johnson uh, around formulation, but also Eleanor Longdon's written about it in biographical accounts of mm-hmm. voice hearing. And what we're saying is, is, is that we're looking for two distinct features when we've gathered this information through the conversation, not risk. Not even in the first instance strategies, mm. but because this is a long-term journey of understanding. But looking at what social or emotional conflicts does suicide represent 
you know, so if, if we use your experience that you expressed, what what social or emotional conflicts, dilemmas, difficulties, traumas, adversities is that part of you responding to? That's right. Where did it come from? Mm. You know, so once we've discovered that, and then we can notice, how does that cause problems in my day to day life? Mm. Yeah. You know, those are the two questions. What does it represent and how is it causing me difficulties mm. yeah. in living? Mm-hmm. And that is in of itself going to take us towards understanding how we might choose to respond differently, which sounds a lot like a risk management plan, but we don't first need to have focused on risk yeah. and, and getting rid of risk because we, we're we believing that this person has wisdom through their knowing. Yeah, and I think the problem with risk management plans is that... <laughs> It's like the person is feeling suicidal because there's something significant and important to pay attention to. And when we do a risk management plan, we actually are making them, well, this is an overgeneralization, okay? Yeah. Making them more suicidal because what, what the suicide's there to say, I need some attention for something important. And we're saying the only thing that's important is you don't kill yourself. So we're, t- so we're kind of really saying the thing that's crying out for attention will not be given any attention to. I can't see how that ever works to actually make someone less suicidal. And look, I I think we're going to go to a break in a minute, but I think this is such a powerful conversation because even as you were saying that, there was an anxiety for me. Mm. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah. But I agree with you. You know, the the person is asking us to be in relationship, to hear their dilemma, to hear their problem. First do that. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we want them to be alive and yes. to feel safe and nurtured and nourished and skillful and powerful and wise. But actually they're telling us, aren't they, in that moment, something is so big and unsafe for mm. me, I want to tell you about it. Mm. And the, the language I've got at the moment is to, is to express just how suicidal I am. Mm. And they're asking us to stay in relation and hear that story. Yeah. So I think that's really powerful. Look, I think we ought to go to a break and then I think when we come back we might talk through what the suicide narrative stands for and maybe just clarify that we're talking about kind of eCPR emotional CPR and just listening as a justice-based response to crisis nice. and the suicide meaning conversation as a as a deep and intentional understanding of the person's narrative of how they've arrived at suicide mm. yeah. and so, I'm interested to talk about what kind of questions we're asking in the suicide yeah lovely Thanks. So maybe flesh that out a little bit yeah great all right well we'll come back see you in a moment Welcome back to uh, the Reawaken podcast for the second half. We've, um, as well as Steph and producer Dan being here, we've got Suki with us. Hello, Suki. Hello. Um, just joining us for the second half. Um, so we're going to carry on talking a bit about suicide narratives um, and what it actually looks like, mm. what it stands for. Yeah. Um, and I think we've talked in another podcast about just doing it and using what resources mm. you have. And I think we don't want to make pretend statements here that aren't true and I don't know if you know where I'm going with this but this suicide acronym that we're using in suicide narratives was made up on a plane flight (laughs) so it is relevant and it's years of work between us right yeah I think that it's made up it's completely made up we tend to just make things up don't we Matt but it also is as you say it's it's built on years and years of of being with our experiences, with other people's experiences through, you know, years and years of training as a therapist and being with people. Yeah, and I think this really, the idea of me bringing this in, that it's made up, is, is 20 years of, 
thinking and working and yeah. experiencing lived experience, professional experience. But I also don't want to give the impression like psychiatry has given, for example, mm -hmm. that this is fact <laughs> and science and must not be questioned. Yeah. You know, this is this is an idea we've brought together and we're inviting people to see if it's useful. Yeah, beautiful. We think it's useful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what does suicide narrative stand for? Well, I'll just run through the acronym. Yeah. So suicide is, the S is for suicide, U is for understanding, so we're going to understand suicide. I, intelligently, context, C, contextualised. So we want to intelligently contextualise what's going on when we understand someone's experience of suicide. And the, 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 in context, it is intelligent. It is intelligent, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And the context is the whole environment, internal, external, the world we live in, the madness that we're currently ensconced in. So after the C, the I is for individual, individually, D, determined, and E, experience. So we're looking at suicide, understanding, intelligently contextualised, individually determined experience. Yeah. So our little acronym we made up works quite well. It does. Um, to but, sort of explain why we're doing this suicide meaning conversation to really look at all the contexts and the, how the person themselves determines their experience. Absolutely, within the context That's of their right. life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and at no point are we saying that we're more knowledgeable than the person mm. who is experiencing suicide. Mm. Uh, at no point are we saying, oh, yeah, that's all very well and good, but there's a mental disorder there. Mm. You know, that, that might be stuff that other people want to talk about. But in our context, we're saying that this is an understandable reaction to the madness of a life that a person is experiencing. Mm, yeah. um, you know, very much like that sort of Langian idea of he didn't actually say this, but he alluded to a sane response to insane circumstances. Mm. Um, and, and that's where the tagline healing through knowing comes from, which is that the person knows ultimately what is going on mm -hmm. intelligently, mm. skillfully. Yeah. Um, and we were talking in the break a little bit about power and mm. you know uses of power um when we look at things like the power threat meaning framework and how um uses of power or misuses of power in a person's life might have brought them to this point mm. and um and i like what you were saying about you know being about maybe some of what's here is a power imbalance not a chemical imbalance we're told that this person's here because they've got mental illness as a chemical imbalance yeah yeah and there's a section in the paper that's coming out maybe we'll release it with this with this podcast about suicide narratives but there's a sort of article about suicide narratives and we talk a lot about the idea of that power imbalance not chemical imbalance because the I, I can't i find it very hard to move beyond the idea that this is a life contextualized experience mm. and not a disorder mm. well i know from my experience and i think i mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know I my experiences of having parts of me that feel suicidal at times mm. as I've gotten to know them and as I've you know kind of befriended them for want of a better word mm. um, they have relaxed a lot and now it's like every time I get to that point they're like can we run away to the country well that feels a lot more hopeful yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. so they still want to get away from something difficult yeah. but it feels kind of more generative and and more sort of like um, I can work with that rather than that kind of real overwhelm. Mm. I feel really quite emotional when you say because I think about what we were talking about before the break about one of your parts can be suicidal and that mm. really allows us to kind of feel and experience you having that mm. as a as a part of you. And then there's another part of you that's got an alternative mm. plan, mm. which is equally as understandable. And it kind of that's that's the bit where it contextualizes mm. 
and, and, and offers you as the skillful knowing person. Oh, look, I've got this part that says to end my life. I've got this part that says to run away. Yeah. And a range of other parts. Mm. Well, they, they're obviously presumably meaningful. Yes, and I would say that it's, as I've gotten to know the suicidal part, she now has other options. So she's the one who suggests we run away to the country. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> so you've got a part so that's suicidal but also has other has, ideas yes, and other options. Yes, that's right. She can bring that in. <laughs> wow. And I, and I just think, you know, if we just pause and think about you presenting yourself to a mainstream mental health service and saying, I'm suicidal and mm. I've got a plan, mm. that's what we focus on. Yeah, that's but right. But what you've just told us is that that part of you that wants to end your life in a moment also wants to survive by doing something else. Well, as I've gotten to know her, she said, well, I just don't want to mm. suffer anymore. Yeah. So if there's a way for us to get away with what's away from what's so difficult by, you know, usually it has to do with relational lack of safety. And mm. she's like, let's go and live in the country and do nothing but grow vegetables and keep away from people. Yeah, and right. that sounds like a real legitimate plan when you're afraid of people. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And this speaks again to what you were saying before the break as well, doesn't it, about we run away from hearing the narrative and we worry about risk. Mm. But actually what you're asking is for that to be heard. Oh, yeah, then so I get to know ideas. that really what her biggest fear is is about, you know, people aren't safe or whatever wow. the story is behind that. Wow. And imagine feeling, as I'm sure you must have done, feeling enough safety to be able to tell someone that. Mm. You're in that moment, you're responding to the unsafety by feeling safe enough in a relationship. Yeah. And that is the risk management plan, right? Being in that relationship. Oh, the relationship is the thing that helps everything to settle. Yeah, right. It's like, it's almost like in my experience, and I'd be really curious what other people mm. want to say about that, but in my experience, the lack of connection, the fear of, of what the future holds when I, I mean, I'm isolated in my pain is the biggest dilemma. And as I come towards, come to try and find some safety, and surely if we're coming to services and we're in that level of distress, we're really just asking, is there somebody who can help me make sense of this? This feels overwhelming. Mm. Um, mm. And, and that, that actually ends up mitigating the problem if there's connection, you know, rather than someone who kind of goes, well, that's clearly something defective about you and we have to manage it. And, and I just want to say that one of the things I see as so difficult in mental health systems is this kind of, you've got this much time and then we're going to plan for a week or a day or a month later. Mm. You know, and what I hear you saying is, what, what would it be like if I, um, someone came to, to a system or a service and they were able to have some time in connection, go away and come back an hour later? And yeah. have a bit more time. Nice. So we're not we're not being radical and saying this is just some fantasy. No. But but what I hear you're saying is could you could you define how that connection's ongoing? Mm. Yeah. And that would be a really important part of you developing an alternative sense of being able to manage mm. and work through. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I also heard that when when we feel like we're out of internal options, it's really important to have those external options yeah. come through. So it's about that internal mm. and external context, right? Yeah, That's what it. we were discussing in a previous podcast about having these alternatives available. Yeah. So I think it really is a combination of that internal and external, and you can almost see the options are spreading, you know, between the self as well as yeah. the outside world and the help that may be available in that in itself can give you some some more options and some other avenues to go mm. through. Well, I think that's so true. It feels really, really relevant. And it kind of takes us on to what you were asking at the end of the first half, mm. Rory, is is 
you know, what are some of the practicalities of the suicide narratives model? What, what does it actually look like? Mm. And I think what I hear you saying is, so how are we going to do this? Mm. And emotional CPR, as we've touched on, is a process where one person shares of their distress however they can, and the other person externalises, the listener externalises their response, their feelings about the experience the first person in distress is stating, so that that externalisation happens. You know, mm. Steph may have told me her story, and I tell Steph how that feels in me. Mm. Well, now we've both externalised what we're experiencing, so neither of us having to sit internalising on our own the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the first parts of the suicide narratives is acknowledging that crisis, distress, emergency sense of space around suicide. It's vital that we meet people. Yeah. That we meet people in connection, yeah. both internally and externally. And I think I just want to go back to what Rory said because I was just so excited to hear you say yeah. that. I was like jumping out of my chair with, oh, my God, that's <laughs> exactly right, Rory. Um, because I was just thinking that... Um, it is that space of my internal resources at the moment. I can't even access them. They're there. They're always there. I just can't access them right now because of the overwhelm. And so to have to be able to kind of meet with someone who is not overwhelmed by what's going on inside of me and offers me something, you know, um, in transactional analysis, which is one of the things I trained on early. Can't believe I'm bringing this into a podcast. Um, we used to say that, um, you know, you borrow someone else's kind of like compassionate adult you know, mm. for a moment. Uh, normally I'm really able to be in my adult and know I have a lot of options and be compassionate for my experience, but today I cannot do that and I reach out and I borrow someone else's. And in eCPR, what, what's the principle? We're saying that when your heart is needing resuscitating, really connects to, I can offer you my heart. That's right. Mm. So there's, it's beautiful to think of, there's many different models talking about the same idea here. Yeah. This isn't some whimsical peer-informed model. This is about saying, well, oh, in that moment, eCPR, emotional CPR, where I lend you my heart to help your heart, oh, that sounds also a bit like TA. Yeah. It also sounds like a bit about Roger's stuff, about, you know, if I'm willing to be me mm. and, you're, and, and, and you're able to be you in that moment, that's where change occurs. Mm. It's a very similar sounding experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the other thing we talked about was just listening, um, which you know, is our own model, mm. came out of Sidewalk Talk in America, mm -hmm. but we very much wanted to see justice in the process of deeply listening. Mm. Uh, and we know Indigenous and First Nation cultures have many of these skills and stories and narratives in their culture anyway. Yeah. So in, in Australia, Aboriginal people, some Aboriginal communities talk about Dadiri, that deep listening. Mm. Mm. And, and we've developed what, you know, ultimately is a western white model of just listening <laughs> came out of Stephen Gans and, and Leon Redler's work in, around the importance and justice of just listening to someone's story mm. uh, and, and Laura the student skillfully tied that to some social work theory so again we're back to the idea that the skill is about being present and offering yourself to the other um, but we can also justify that not as some whimsical fantasy but saying Oh, for those of you that like to think there's a an evidence base and a knowledge behind this, yes, there's a whole range of those. Mm, yeah. um, the website, by the way, for Just Listening, www.justlistening.com.au. I think there's 10 or 11 free videos on how to do Just Listening. <laughs> yep. um, it's kind of 
easy, but also requires a bit of practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Very easy, and I think that's what we wanted to get across. Is not not hard. And and if, if you're yeah, and if you're listening to someone and it's stressful, because it can be, you know, well then you can ask someone to listen to you. Mm. You know, and we can create these spaces. Oh, of that's a whole other listening. podcast I want to talk about listening trains. Oh, and... Listening trains. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Producer Dan, can we do a podcast on listening trains? Absolutely. Thirty nice. thinking and nice. Yeah. yeah. I I'm aware we haven't covered the questions from the Yeah. And yeah. I wondered whether we do that or Well I th- I think we could go on, do you think? Or yeah, not? sure. I mean, you know, the, the, the questions around the hearing voices interview uh, are are about looking at the, the relationship you have with voices, so we're talking about suicide now, the relationship you have with suicide, mm. the impact of suicide in your life, mm. the power and balance that suicide presents. Mm. And if we think from this model that we're saying that suicide is tied to social or emotional conflicts, when suicide has power in your life, then we're saying that it's the social or emotional conflict that's not able to have been worked through or resolved yes. enough. Yeah. You know, the trauma, the adversity, that's actually what's having power. It's being represented mm by the suicide, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. We look at childhood experiences, mm-hmm. teenage years, relational stuff, um, triggers and yeah. history. You know, how has suicide come, gone, returned, revisited, changed maybe? Mm. Um, I, was, I was talking to someone, a doctor at a hospital the other day, and she was saying she went to the World Psychiatric Association conference last year in Adelaide, and um, she was saying there was an amazing presentation on borderline personality disorders and I I sighed a little bit because I can imagine borderline personality in the World Psychiatric Association. Anyway, I was wrong a little bit because what she was saying was that um, some of the stats were fascinating. What she was actually saying is that it's burnout and exhaustion of staff and non-reflection of staff that leads to people in emotional distress finding it harder to move through. So if we Mm -hmm. keep ourselves fresh, available, healthy, revitalised, then we've got more resources of human connection to offer. And what really struck me was that there was a suicide statistic in this presentation that she was showing me, that the the highest prevalence of people talking about attempting or wanting to end their lives in people labelled, and we're not labelling people, people labelled with BPD was between the age of 20 and 30, Mm -hmm. but the actual highest point of people ending their life was 38. So for all the resources that are flooded into... Mm the services of borderline personality disorder, the tragedy is that people die without those resources being flooded in 10 years later, Yeah. taking their own life. So just to clarify, because I'm mm. not sure you said that right, I, I might have misunderstood, but mm. um, so you're saying that the prevalence, the highest prevalence of suicide is in the 20 to 30? Of, of people saying and telling us that they're oh, feeling t- oh, suicidal. Oh, I see, okay. And right. making attempts of, uh-huh. of, of self-injury yes, or okay. overdose. And we give them lots of support. That's when the sort of the right. highest... The interventions, in quotes, come in, yeah. Uh-huh. But then people actually completing suicide yeah, happens later. Happens around the age of 38. Yeah. And I just think there's a tragedy And maybe we're not as... You're saying there's not as many services at that age. No, because we feel we've moved people through right. the crisis. Well, that's what is so interesting to me is, and this is my big dilemma about dialectical behaviour therapy, is that it essentially tells a person your suffering is unimportant. What is important is that you behave yourself and we're going to give you strategies to behave yourself and go over there and do it. And so that statistic makes a lot of sense to me then because Mm -hmm. what it's basically saying is, yep, we get people out of services by doing DBT and whatever, 
they're still utterly miserable and and not managing their lives particularly well, but they're, in quotes, behaving themselves in a way that yeah. we say is now acceptable. Yeah. Um, until And they do that, you know, and then the life continues on in this unsatisfactory way until eventually a portion of them kill themselves. And I, I, like I, and I see that. I'm just mentioning that because yeah. I get to see that, I suppose. I'm not just bringing that out of nowhere. I'm kind no, of like, I, I get to see how much people come out of DBT and they're just going, I'm so miserable. And I, and I want to kind of acknowledge what you're bringing in because it's that another one of those uncomfortable conversations that we find so hard to have. Yeah. And I, if people have not heard you before, they can go to www.reawakenaustralia.com.au forward slash resources. And there's a keynote of you talking about this in more detail, yeah. isn't there, about compassion for borderline. So your position is very much a compassionate, intentional one. Mm-hmm. But it's just asking the questions, it seems to me. Mm. What exactly are we doing when we offer someone 12 months DBT? And, and for the most part, very little else. Mm, that's right. So if you've developed the skills or you haven't, mm. that you've kind of had the A gold standard treatment. Yeah, that's right. And actually the, the evidence is telling us, according to this presentation in last year at the World Psychiatric Association, suicide happens 10 years later. Mm, yeah. And that's what I, I think that's why it's so important mm. speaking to that, because we need to keep rethinking them. So just going back to the questions and the idea, once we've asked people in depth about their experience, how it's evolved over mm. time, you know, we're not, we're not putting any caveats on that. People can tell us their yeah, experience. absolutely. Very important. We've looked at the social emotional dilemmas and we, we move towards a formulation or a construct model, you know, stuff developed by Lucy Johnson, the power threat meaning framework ideas and, and what Eleanor London wrote about in the hearing voices approach that constructs or Formulations should be meaningful, collaborative and tentative and mm. available for consistent change yeah. as people evolve into mm. the who, who they are. Mm. They discover new contexts. They make new understandings. Mm. And we get, we get to the point where we ask two core questions. What social or emotional conflicts does the suicidal experience relate to at origin and in your current life experiences? Mm-hmm. So how is suicide related to these social emotional conflicts? And then the second question... What problems do the suicidal ex- experience represent or present in your life now? Mm. So I wonder, we assume what suicide mm. is as a problem. Yeah. But it's always worth... Asking inv- the person. <laughs> yeah. yeah inviting them to tell us yeah. why suicide yeah. is or isn't a problem. Because when I hear you talking about that part of you that's suicidal, it sounds inherently functional mm. in terms of keeping you safe. Mm. And having time to talk about that has allowed that part of you to have new stories. Mm. Yeah, and and also, you know, obviously I, I get to find out it's about relational lack of safety. So mm. it's like, oh, so you don't just, I don't want to just kill myself. <laughs> I've mm. got a bit of part of going, this doesn't feel safe and you're not listening to me and you never pay attention to my concerns and so this is where we end up. Mm. So it's like, oh, I get to hear a whole other part of what this part's actually trying to say this message behind the message yeah and i and i hope it's okay to just stop me if it's not but what i hear is when when that part of you develops you develop understanding of what that part needs and that part develops new ideas mm. i.e running away yeah. we love talking in trauma-informed circles about resilience mm-hmm. and building resources mm-hmm. but it turns out this is the healing through knowing right this, yes, this is that's right you and your parts coming into deep contact and you being able to understand that that's the moment when it discovers new ideas mm-hmm. that's when you're developing your resources that you already have yeah 
you know, and, and I just think it's so important we, you know, we acknowledge the power of you in that rather than the power of me as the listener. Mm, yeah. Because you've given me the privilege of hearing that rather than me it's always, teaching you that. Yeah, and in my mind that's always the case. You know, mm. if I'm the listener, I'm just sitting alongside really just offering some curiosity for the person to say whatever they need to say, mm. you know. Mm. And if I can stay in that curious space to really accept, like, so, you know, that's there. And this, I had a woman who had a voice who said, you deserve to be punished. Okay, well, I can hear that's not very pleasant for you, but maybe if we listen to it we can... Find out why it's saying that. So my curiosity, that's all I'm offering. (laughs) And Mm. acceptance and permission for whatever's here. Wow. Yeah, it feels really beautiful. Mm. Well, look, I'm I'm really grateful. We we probably ought to think about wrapping Mm. it up. But um, I just want to summarise then. The suicide narratives is about contextualising and understanding intelligently how that individual has come to determine that their life is not worth living. Mm. And, and that is what we're listening for. And the Suicide Narratives provides both an interventional sort of crisis response of eCPR, not intervention, but, you know, connection space of eCPR, emotional CPR and just listening, and a longitudinal, long-term journey of discovering where suicide relates to social and emotional conflict. And we, we're taking the view that that's something that perhaps we haven't been brave enough to explore as a mental health addictions community and we're encouraging people to explore mm, yeah. safely and in a nurtured way. Absolutely. And I think just to quickly say at the mm. end, you know, one of our goals is to really, you know, we do training in Maastricht interview for, for voices. Mm. I'd love to offer people, well, they don't really need training in it, but people like to get trained. It seems like people get frightened to use the yes. tool. Um, and so the idea is that we would develop this tool um, that people can use with, you know, um, if they're a clinician or if they've got a loved one who they care about or in whatever setting that feels right for them, they can have the suicide meaning questionnaire and say, would this be something that would be helpful for you if, if we sat together and, and worked through these questions together? Yeah. Um, so and I, and I that'll wanna, be hopefully a resource. Yeah, and I want to clarify that because that sounds really important. There's always been a conversation about who can do the Hearing Voices know, interview. Yeah. And what we're saying is, is that in a trusted, safe enough relationship, people could use the suicide narratives yes, tool. Absolutely. So it's it's about clinicians using it, it's about peer workers, it's about friends and family, loved ones, mm. maybe in groups, your colleagues at work if that's who you trusted mm-hmm. safe resources. We've mm. talked about that before. So it's very much not about saying this is a clinical system that yeah. has to do this. Mm. But it can be used in all all spaces and yeah, right. I just also want to really acknowledge my gratitude to using and hearing about your parts and your experience because it just feels like it really gave everybody an opportunity to understand it better. Mm. And I love this is the longest podcast we've done because it needed to be talked about more, which reflects exactly what we're saying about... Yeah, Yeah, it's okay to talk about it. It's important to talk about it. And giving it the time that it needs and if you need to run over and be with somebody for longer, that's what what you should do. That's beautiful. Suki, is there anything you wanted to reflect on? You don't have to. It's, it's um, an opportunity if you want. No, it's just it's just interesting hearing you talk to each other about this stuff. It's I find it fascinating. Okay. <laughs> I've been observing some very knowing nods and engagement. Yeah, um, I I learn a lot about this stuff through Stephanie, so it's like yeah, I get it. You know, when you're telling your story, I guess it's yeah. definitely a lot that I can relate to and I've learned from already. So. 
Great. Great. Thank well, you. we'll see you next time on Reawaken as we continue to create community around addiction, mental health and trauma. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race, need your hope, that's what this word is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed Hope is the thing that stops you bleed Hope is the irie in the weed So give hope and live hope And when your kids are hungry Feed them hope If the system bleeds you dry Have hope If the situation makes you cry Have hope Cause now it's time to dry your eyes And hope that that'll keep your dreams alive I hope that you hope Cause everyone's future is resting on your hope Can take the worst thing and turn it around Hope can find the lost that was not to be found Hope can make the loser them start gaining ground Hope can turn your pennies right back into pounds Cause hope can be rebuilt even when it's been killed And if you believe, your hope will be fulfilled But people lie, just to raise your hope Just to make you think that they're helping you cope They're selling you eggs without no yolk they're wearing you down until your will is broke This ain't real hope, they don't feel hope They real hope and deal hope and turn it into false hope Then we give up on this world like it's a sinking boat We let each other drown instead of flinging the rope We're turning the place into some kind of joke But we can't laugh, we can't lose hope In these times while they commit these crimes Because there's nothing else out here keeping us afloat Hope is elusive, a glint in the eye That something is exclusive, a thing they can buy more make excuses, they just sit and ask why Our mistakes are conclusive, hope will just die But I wouldn't lie, singing all lullaby Give hope a try, and hope gets high You'll be bereaved, but you'll also receive Have hope, can be deceived, you've just got to believe And hope, don't let it leave, or ever receive Just hope, and then one day, you're going to succeed You can't live without hope, don't go without hope Don't doubt hope, will keep you warm when you're shivering with cold Young when you're tired and old Hope can make a bright man hearty and bold But hope can find the truth that has never been told Cause some people take hope And some people make hope But you are the people You people here You're the ones that I feel are sincere You're raising my hope Will hold your hand when you feel insecure Hope will find a way Through any locked door Hope will give you guidance when you're feeling unsure Make a point in the wise Even when there's a floor so much more and so much more and so much more hope will do it all and so much more